Welcome to the Reinventing Finance podcast hosted by Tom van der Lube and Nicolaus Sür. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the developments of the InsurTech, insurance, fintech and finance market. Join us as we discover what some of the current industry leaders and decision makers are doing, the lessons they have learned, the main challenges and opportunities they identify and how they see the current status of the insurance and finance industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Reinventing Finance with my co-host, Tom. And today we are um, very happy to um, welcome Sabine as our um, third guest. Sabine, um, why don't you briefly introduce yourself um, to the audience and happy to have you on board. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Tom, for having me today. So I'm Sabine van der Linden. I guess recently somebody called me the queen of InsurTech, so I'm going, to take, <laughs> I'm going to take the title proudly. Um, I've been working in InsurTech uh, for the past uh, five years through the Startup Bookcamp InsurTech program I set up in Europe and half of the InsurTech hub I set up in the US five years ago. One year ago, I decided to actually take all this learning to set up Alchemy Crew, which is a venture validation and commercialization lab, where my goal is to help big companies to uh, partner better, invest better, acquire better, rather than build stuff. So it's about enabling our ecosystem to grow together. Um, I look at it from an insure tech viewpoint, and my definition of insure tech is tech meeting insurance, which means could go beyond than just the initial tech ventures we already know. Awesome. That's, um, I was going to, because I, I, I checked your LinkedIn, I was going to, um, Queen of InsureTech, um, who, if you, if you don't mind me asking, who, who gave you that title? Because I think it's quite catchy and, uh, you know, kudos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So it's uh, some of the great startups I've worked with. So you will see a page very soon appearing on our website where I'm going to list uh, something like around 70 ventures I've yeah. accelerated since uh, 20, uh, 2016. And, um, you know, some of the startups I've been working with have said to me, Sabine, you need just to take the title. You are one of the few women, if it's not the only one, uh, working with us as InsurTech. And, you know, in the world which is looking for diversity and inclusion, um, it is the right time to actually uh, take that title. So some of those people who ask me to take that title, I would say Becky Downing, my great friend from, you know, the Buzz Group. Um, I would say Charlotte Hawking, Orcat, sorry, from Bought by Many. Uh, you know, some of the great women who are out there working in the startup world, having grown with amazing ventures, uh, who actually recognize that, you know, we have potentially very few of us still, you know, wearing the flag and making sure that smaller okay. business become bigger businesses in the future. How do we, how do we get more women on, on stage or also in this, uh, in this business? Because yeah, we, we often think that it would be a business which is totally suited let's say, to have much more women. I agree, Tom. So how do we get more women within our sphere? I guess you have quite a few women uh, going into insurance in general. 
I think um, you have now more women going into tech and becoming entrepreneurs. You know, when I started working with InsurTechs five years ago, um, we used to monitor, you know, how many female founders uh, would actually apply to our programs. And, you know, from 10, 15%, we actually moved to 25%. So the number started increasing. I think, though, it needs to start earlier. We need, uh, you know, when you go to school, when we go to schools, 10, you know, degrees need to be far more encouraging to welcome engineers who are women engineers. And I think part of it also is um, potentially bias driven and cultural in the sense that, you know, when we, um, we talk about uh, degrees, when we talk about things, we, we tend to use a language which is less feminine and potentially yeah. more masculine. And so there's so much work we need to be done. Um, we've done a piece of study recently around um, the future of, 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 of tech. And one thing which came uh, about because we needed to make some demographic analysis around Gen Z and Gen Y. And one thing which came across the study in Europe, in some of our European studies, there's probably 51% women versus 49% men. And so therefore Europe is actually becoming more feminine as, um, as a set of countries. And so we potentially also need to adjust how we market things to make them much more appealing to, to, to the buyer, I would say, but also to the gender we want to acquire in our industry. I mean, you know, easy question to start with, right? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> you know, just, a, just, a, just an easy one, you know, to, to uh, like the icebreaker, classical icebreaker. Now, I just, just, just to add on that, let's say, especially if you take, if you talk about insurance, it's something which probably, let's say, from if you talk about, let's say, being more feminine or caring for the family, etc., is much closer than, let's say, selling sport cars or some, or producing sport cars. So I would say, from 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 the nature of the product, uh, uh, you would expect, let's say, more women feeling attached to those topics, also health insurance, whatsoever. So. And you know, so, uh, in my team, I have a lot of female. We've been doing some work around the health space and we are working on things which are absolutely fascinating, right? From woman health to looking at uh, chronic diseases. And you know what, they're having such a blast because as you said, they are super interesting and we can relate to it. Um, there's a quote I often use, which is uh, the quote from Brian Chesty from Airbnb who when he built uh, Airbnb, you know, he only had a, you know, a male uh, focused team and they could not always respond to the needs of their buyers, um, you know, customers. And when yeah. they started becoming more diverse, whether they were uh, aging people, you know, diversity of gender, uh, diversity in culture, you know, by being the, the customer, by being the, uh, the, the, I would call it the tribe, they were able to attract you know, those customers they could not reach because people within the team knew exactly how to attract them, approach them and sell to them. Very good. Uh, no, um, absolutely. Um, I, and it's, it's true. I think it's, um, it, it, I think it would be good. And I'm, I'm glad that we are moving in the right direction to have, um, you know, more diverse um, founder leadership and participation team in, in, in SureTech. I think it's, it's, it's going to be, 
um, it's going to get better at least. Um, maybe um, moving to to Alchemy Crew, um, and just to to kind of um, um, walk us through that, if you if you were, and you said you know it's a venture validation and commercialization lab. Um, so maybe just two questions from from that, and me, I'm, I'm probably intentionally misinterpreting uh, it, but one. Does that mean that acceleration and or innovation is dead? Oh, very good question. No, I don't think innovation or acceleration are, are dead. So as you know, I, you know, for five years, uh, I worked with probably 13 insurers globally uh, working on acceleration programming. And um, the wonderful thing is when you work with a group of insurers, they learn with you. And you have to align to, uh, I guess, a learning path. So I think accelerators are very important for new markets, for um, you know, learning about a, a new technology, uh, a new problem. And for example, I think you will see a lot of things happening, for example, around sustainability and ESG, because people are trying to work out what it is. And it's, it's great to do it through an accelerator because the accelerator allow people to observe, right, to come to pay their you know, membership fee to, to just learn and observe and actually see what is happening with ventures and start collaborating with them. Uh, however, when, and in my case, I want to continue working with the insurers who have been supporting me for five years and you know, I've been in the industry for 25. So I end up working with the same companies at the end of the day, we trust each other, they know, you know what I can deliver and uh, my ethics and integrity in, in my work. Um, but what you also find is they need new things. And so the lab model for me is enabling them to access new things. So two things about labs, it's outcome driven. So I have to deliver a specific outcome, maybe a new business model, maybe a new product, maybe a new service or a new partnership. So what is happening with the lab is you, are, you have metrics, right? You have outcomes to deliver. And I tend to um, divide it into the three, you know, horizon model from McKinsey, horizon one, two, and three, meaning, you know, do we want to focus on process innovation? So improving in underwriting or claims, do we want to focus on product and service innovation. So starting building new things, maybe identifying ventures to enter new market. You know, I mentioned Gen Z, Gen Y. So you need to build for that customer segment or are we building a new business model? And I try to separate them all three because business model take longer. And as we know, if we want to build a unicorn, it will take us, you know, probably a year to build one. But then, you know, to become a true unicorn, it takes four years. Now you can build a unicorn in four years. So I try to separate them into those three buckets with number one, you know, could do it maybe in three to six months, second one, maybe in one year. And the third one it will take a little bit longer because people can frame it. So labs are great because they are concentric and then they are demand late. So as I mentioned, you know, we are doing things around women health and we are doing things around um, chronic diseases. But then, you know, the insurers are coming to us with major problems. And so we are demand led. So that's what a lab allows you to do. Is innovation dead? No, innovation is not dead. But I think people are very confused about what innovation is versus digital transformation. And I personally try to avoid using the word innovation because for me, it's a process, it's a method, it's an, a means to achieving an end. But actually the outcome we are trying to do is transform is the digitized stuff. And so um, it's all about how you use the terminology in the right way. You know, I sit um, 
on, on, on CAS. So I am a, a visiting senior visiting fellow at CAS Business School and a teacher on disruption and um, uh, business model transformation. And I it's love- It's a very good university. It's a very good university. I know, I, I got my MBA from there. And um, you know, we have a class there which is actually attracting the biggest number of students mm -hmm. uh, around FinTech and InsurTech disruption, which we'll be um, hosting at the end of May with Professor Gianvito uh, Lanzola. And the nice things with working with a professor is, is about principles and it's about terminology. And, you know, when I work with him, you know, so to me, let's not use the word innovation. We are talking about digital transformation. So he has been also forcing me to use the right terminology as part of my work and our work as well. Thank you. I think that's, um, I think that's very refreshing. And I'm, I fully, I mean, I, I, I intentionally kind of phrased it in a, in, in, in a black and white uh, manner, but I think um, it's, it's, one of the key things that you find is it's very important to clarify terminology because um, it's crazy. Otherwise, you'll, you'll think you're talking about the same thing, but you're really not. Um, and I guess, um, uh, is there something, is there a concrete case um, that, and I'm, I'm also happy to spin, spitball something to say, you know, if we had this problem, how, how, how could you help? But is there maybe something you alluded to, uh, women health, um, and, and, and other topics, but do you have something very specific to just kind of walk us through that? And I know rather more specific and it doesn't have to capture everything you do, but I think that would be very helpful, at least for me to, to kind of pinpoint what some, what a use case could look like that you sure. do. So I will take um, I will take an example of um, a recent article and produced for me talking about the, the transient worker, the digital nomad um, through LinkedIn. I, I will take this example because it's one of those things where actually still quite a few insurers do not know how to deal with with it. So with COVID nineteen, what has happened is we have become remote workers. And even before COVID, you know, there was probably 15 million of people which would call transient workers. So people who actually would want to go and work from a beach in Koh Samui or uh, in Cancun. Today, the transient worker is somebody like you and I who knows we can work from home and maybe from our houses in Italy or in France or wherever. But what that means with um, when you look at the UK market, for instance, just as one of the markets is with Brexit, you know, the, the nice rules we had where we could actually hop to our house in France for three months, we can't really do that anymore. Um, we, we, we don't have anymore our little help card, as an example, to allow us to get, um, you know, some, some services if we were uh, unwell. So what does that mean? It, it is uh, a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. And so when you start now looking at that market, um, we would start doing a lot of market sizing. So we look at, you know, what is that transient worker? Where does he or she is? What do they buy? You know, how old they are? And we start creating a profile of, um, the, so, you know, you would use the consulting techniques or design thinking techniques to really understand and profile that customer segment. You will use a lot of finance to actually do the market sizing and start understanding where the opportunity lies. And the interesting working with uh, great insurers is insurers think in terms of GWP. I tend to think as investors in terms of market size. 
that forces me then to identify areas of opportunities, which may not have been what an insurer may be looking for. So um, based on that market sizing, then we start looking at the service or the insurance opportunities which may actually come through. And um, what does it mean? It could mean, you know, it could be usually um, a new insurance product, might be, you know, accidental health, it might be warranty. Then you start adding around the opportunity. But if you look at the problem from the insurer viewpoint, what you also find is um, insurance will probably mean something very different tomorrow. That's why we go into this embedded finance and embedded insurance and go because if you go through the customer engagement, then you realize if you want to fulfill the need, well, you may not just want to provide a product. You start now moving into a service. Yeah. So instead of trying to build everything, if I were going to build something, I would go to Nicholas. I would say, Nick, and um, then I would look at the startup ecosystem. And the startup ecosystem may be insurtechs, but there may be a lot of other tech. You know, it might be bots, it could be, uh, so AI, it could be cyber, it could be so many different things based on what problem we are trying to solve for. And so that's where I said to my, my partners, you know, why build when we can partner? So that is phase one. And so that's where we go and do a scouting globally, identify potential opportunities to start solving for that problem as part of an ecosystem of opportunity, which can then become opportunity for bake-off, for experiments with the insurer. But um, so when we go through that, then we go into what we call a commercialization sprint. So we have a number of sprints. So we use a sprint methodology to accelerate things. The goal is to get it done within five to six months rather than spending two years at doing it. So we have to be really focused. We need to narrow the problem and we need to um, find opportunities which are going to return um, you know, value for, uh, for the, the partner, for the insurer. But then what we also say is, you know, we have done all this scouting for you. We have looked at so many different opportunities. Why not look at opportunity for investment? Why not look for opportunity for acquisition? What I've seen through my past five years is that some of the great partners I've worked with have actually embedded or were starting to embed amazing technologies within their environment. And those companies have been acquired by a competitor. So it's like, you know, if it is really a strategic capability, why not see whether you can acquire it, uh, but make the right choices up front because at some point it may be too late. And so that's why I say, you know, I look at reinvention engines, so reinvention opportunities, which might be partnership, investment and acquisition. But I know not everything exists out there. And so I have great friends out there who wants to start building ventures as well with us. So then we can also go into potentially the venture building um, stream. Um, and so you've seen me, for example, interacting a lot with Reds and Ventures. Uh, Nicole is an expert venture builder, a focus in sustainability. And so that are some of the projects, for instance, we are looking at at the moment. That's very, may I try to paraphrase? So just that I've under, under, understood. Yes, uh, you. If I'm, so basically if I'm thinking of a Venn diagram, right? You'll have your, um, you have your consultancy driven market sizing opportunity generation to go through a, a list of opportunities, um, you know, with the blend of uh, qualitative quantitative research. Um, you'll then, and I thought that is really interesting. And I think that is where um, having a good understanding of make versus buy, not on a, at a fundamental level, make is always better than buy, but based on 
who is there to partner and who's even willing to partner. That must factor into it, right? And then lastly, also on the commercialization, that element of, so how do you, what about investment? How do you um, fund the partners? And, and is that fair that these are three, there's probably more, right? Different use cases require different uh, um, elements. They have a life of their own, I would imagine. Yep. But is, are those, is that a fair summary of some of the key pillars that you're yep. providing with Alchemy yeah. Group? I don't like you can I mean calling it consultancy, but you know you have like a mapping, you have a, a sure. strategic mapping or um, a discovery phase, right? You have to, okay. to look at understanding the problem you are trying to solve for. And you know when you when you go into accelerators, usually the insurer said, "Oh, please look at this, look at this, look at that," right? If you remember, Nick, and you know it's very tactical. I'm trying to move away from tactical to being a bit more strategic around putting some value around the opportunity because when I work with CEOs at the end of the day they want to, to achieve a result so that's sure. where the demand-led uh, angle is very important but it needs also to be strategic so that is your first part which is the discovery second part is okay based on our discovery let's go and source let's look at what is happening out there and we need to apply um, evaluation metrics you're absolutely right we need to have some some way to constrain and frame and usually we agree evaluation criteria with the, um, the insurers. And then you actually have this part where, which is commercialization, which may be, as you said, a partnership, investment, acquisition. Um, some startups, you know, are not always ready for investment, but when you, when you know that they could be good contenders, right, they're on your list and when they want to raise, okay, guys, you know, township, can I have, you know, a conversation and then we can move the process much faster. So it's about awareness. It's about um, being in the life of um, the young ventures as well. Uh, and it's about being able to drive competitive advantage, I guess, and differentiation through speed. So, you know, startup speed with potentially more reliable frame to achieving the outcome. Thank you, that's, that's, that's very clear. Sorry, Tom, you wanted? Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm always a little bit in doubt. Um, let's say if I just think about the examples, uh, of the companies, let's say, which became successful. And it doesn't matter if you take, let's say, banking is a little bit further. So let's take payments. Then you talk about Stripe, Adyen. If you take the online banks, you have N26, uh, Revolut, et cetera. It's never, uh, uh, it, 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 never one of the incumbents. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, and when I then go to InsurTech, I mean, you can still doubt if, 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 let's say it's a little bit too early to say that Lemonade or WeFox or, or, or others uh, are comparable already with the payments and the, and the, and the online banks, etc. But I'm, I'm just wondering what are the excellent examples of insure tech? Yeah, what shall we say? Uh, invention of incumbents? I, I, I just really have to search uh in an extreme way to find something you know it's an interesting statement you are making um i think what you find is the, the incumbents are very few right so it depends you know where you want to put for example and financial and zonghan now 
um, you know, some of these big players from Asia where- Yeah, that's, okay, sorry, that's right, yeah. I think what you find, yeah. and it's time, right? I would say there's going to be a timeline, but I think what you'll find is a number of European and, and, and American players would like to emulate those business model. I think what you find as well with insurance, and I, I'm not, you know, I don't work very often with banks. Um, I've, I've worked with some banks, but I've not worked often with banks. There are a couple, I would say, are doing interesting things based on what I've, I've seen from their work. Um, in insurance, I think, again, is very few. And because we are dealing with elephants, which actually have to move, what you find is often the projects may not be called the, their brand name. They would be uh, maybe an N26. And you won't even see that actually some of those projects are supported by big, big incumbents. But I do know a few who actually have received the time efforts and um, the capacity from, from big players, because as you said, it's very difficult to do it within. And I want to be there. You know, if I'm given the opportunity to, to build something which may be called AZW, which you will not even realize is AZW by, you know, um, an insurer, you know, I would love, I would love to be there. I mean, some example I think you would have potentially would be, you know, Munichry Digital Partners. At the end of the day, the, the business model was to actually use a lot of different startups, right? Providing the platform to allow the startup to become the broker. I call it the broker, the virtual brokers too, facing off to uh, the new market segment and getting access to the investment technology um, capacity uh, provided by digital partners. Um, Nexible would be another one, you know, to potentially to look at. And you're right, you know, when you look at the being incumbents, uh, the legacy is preventing often those great projects to take place, but it doesn't preclude that some of them may actually set up side businesses to allow them to build some new capability to attract the customers of the future. Mm. Uh, to have to, 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 to have to be fair, there's one big exception, it's uh, ING Direct. So ING Direct, which was until yeah. this financial crisis, the biggest online bank yeah. and would have still been, that, that, that's the big example I know. And then perhaps you can take the credit card companies like MasterCard and Visa, they were, but, but, but if you just take the big, in, also if you take Munich Re or, or, or Allianz, et cetera, they invest somewhere, uh, but, or or uh, Swissery, but I don't I don't really see that innovation is 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 coming from the from from the incumbent. So ITQ ITQ came from Swissery again. Yeah, that's right. Brands you don't hear often, right? Yeah, and you yeah. now are doing those partnerships in the IKEA of this world. So again, you know, it's a different business model, you know, insurance which are risk averse, probably do not want to shout yeah, too much right. around some of the great things they are doing. But some of the things happening, and we deal we are dealing with a risk averse. Yeah. industry uh, compared to banking, which should be risk-taking. Um, but there are a few projects. And as, as you said, Tom, maybe few than the many, but you know, you just need to have the few, right? To yeah, start right. The, the market a bit more a challenger market and then opening um, the eyes of, um, of the competition or those who may lose market share. Yeah. So if we are kind of maybe threading that a little bit further, and um, if you had to pick certain insurtech business models, right? And it's not, it doesn't have to be a, a perfect box, right? But if, if you say, would you say some models outperform others? Um, and if so, 
which ones are those that you're seeing gaining traction just in the market themselves and why that would be the case? Yes. So, you know, I do think still insurtechs is uh, it's still new uh, compared potentially Tom to, to, to fintech. So when I look at my numbers, you know, we have 5,000 insurtechs raised around 40 billion. Then you have 70,000 fintech raised half a, tr uh, you know, half a trillion, right? 400 and nearly 455 billion. So we are dealing with two different things here. And so I think we need to go through a little bit more maturity within InsurTech, which started probably five years ago. Mm. So when I look at interesting business models, as we know, um, we've seen a few uh, becoming unicorns and still probably still need to be proven. What I would say is I see them focusing on one thing at a time, one segment. I know there's this argument, should we go into macro segmentation? Should we, we care about segmentation? I think one thing which is proven with those business models is they go for a customer segment and try to really understand it well and then design a full end-to-end -end customer engagement and customer journey, which is fully aligned to that customer segment, developing those macro services leveraging a multitude of emerging technologies to create completely friction-free, seamless engagement. So when you look at Lemonade, they went for the, what they call the ENRI, the, um, the what, the ENRI, the uh, high earner, not rich yet, something like that. Um, you will see uh, working with Canopy, Canopy's target market is a rental millennial who actually is looking for uh, financial health or rental health. So again, a very specific segment within the UK market at the moment. Uh, when you look at Ipo, same, you know, it's rental uh, and it's millennial, but again, they have identified a sub-segment within that. So first, I think it's around that niche, you know, that, that segment. Um, then there is, as I mentioned, how the, the engagement is being delivered. And what I see is they spend a lot of time doing, even LACA, you know, I, I remember my wall in Startup Bootcamp with all the LACA customer journeys. They were absolutely amazing. And um, what you find is a very macro understanding of how that, that buyer, that uh, community person, you know, this bike lover in that case, in the case of NACA, wants to engage with the business. Um, so, so there is then the customer engagement to create that friction-free from mobile first, so mobile first, friction-free. And then it's also, I think, a little bit of mastery around the uh, behavioral econometrics, right? Leveraging artificial intelligence uh, to deliver, um, new set of engagement, which are really, really, really unique. And I know, you know, we end up going into data, privacy and security and ethics as well, when we start talking about AI. But I would say, this is some of the things I see those co uh, companies doing differently. I think they also want to be seen as loving, really loving their customers and really understand, you know, if you look at um, Alex Alstonewater, a value proposition uh, canvas, I would say, when you look at that line, which is in the middle, which is about, you know, am I delivering more to my customer, you know, giving them a lot of gain, or am I removing a lot of pain? One thing they also do is really understanding that line where they can actually, through the small things a startup can do, they actually make the customer so much more happy 
than the reverse. Um, I think that is fascinating. I remember one of my friends um, recently had um, a little bit of a problem with one of her, um, a cat actually, and um, she called me um, really upset and asked, asked her whether she had bought insurance from one of you know, uh, we know that uh, insurer uh, in the UK, and she said she didn't know, and she did, she did, and she called me after that, and she said to me, I've never had such an amazing experience, and the problem got solved within the day, when, you know, she called um, other services, she called a vet, and they could not even sort the problem. I think one thing that I, I did realize, you know, when you talk to people and when you're actually getting feedback from customers, right, um, is that there is something those ventures are doing which are beyond, you know, the, the call of, of service, if you, if you see what I mean, which I think is also very unique, maybe uh, nowadays in insurance, potentially. No, I think I, I would, um, I mean, this sounds very much for, you know, if you go full stack or MGA, you know, um, you, you got to have a specific um, target, obviously. I'd say they're actually, I would add to that, that if you go directly to consumer in those, it's all of the things you've mentioned, I believe that um, in certain markets, which have, let's say, strong broker or aggregator elements in, in certain aspects that you see B2B2C yeah. as a valid um, enterprise, but it's exactly the same thing. When, when we see, I think Germany is a good um, uh, looking glass at, because you have lots of MGAs, you have full stacks, you have a pretty mature market, you have all types of, um, but not one channel dominates. Yeah. Um, and what you find is that you, a lot of it is about pro, you know, when you're working with brokers, it's about process, it's about service. It's actually, I mean, we're talking to uh, insurers who are then considering, okay, if the broker has a problem about digital transformation and that is what I'll need to transfer the book, but I don't want to take the whole book. What am I? So all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need to, I need to figure this out for them to kind of, protect my pipeline business, if you like. And I think that's, I think, um, and and Tom and I also discussed this previously um, uh, before the podcast is like, so what is one of the difficulties we think with corporate venturing, corporate entrepreneurship? And I really, we, we agreed that it, it wasn't about the motivation of the people, the skills, the access. I think one of the constraints, it's kind of boxed in a little bit um, because you know, you might have to take a detour and it might not actually, you might go down and say, well, but this doesn't add to my gross written premium targets. Like, I mean, I am having these discussions like, yeah, but it's a great service. You're making, okay, you're making service revenue. Who, who gives a, you know. But I think that is going to change actually. Nathan. I think so too. Because, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I ran a workshop and um, the topic was around what we call the transition economy, uh, sustainability. What is happening right now, we are going through a transition because you, you are seeing a lot of insurers now realize that they need to respond to the UN SDGs and they need to have a, a sustainability agenda. And the, the transition is not going to come only from the consumer, you know, the, the Gen Z, Gen Y, 68% of the working population by 2030. It's going to come from commercial entities, right? Energy company, transport companies, 
So transport needs to move to electric vehicle, um, energy needs to move to renewable. So you, you have the you know, construction need to build, move to green building technology and all those things. So each sector is transitioning and it will take some years, but it's happening right now. Yep. And what you find is what are the winning business model? Because then we looked at what are the winning business model? Business model number one is a service-led business model, subscription-based. Subscription I don't own anything, I, I access stuff. Good business model within that space would be Caterpillar, Schneider Electric, as example, right? Where they actually are not, now you're not buying something from them, you're renting stuff. Then you have um, to facilitate that, they also actually overlay that with what we call circular economy model. One of the big players around circular economy model in Europe is actually in Tessa San Paolo in Italy. And what is happening here is instead of buying and keeping things at home, I'm, I'm actually now, um, you know, repurposing. So when you look at claims now, instead of if my TV breaks, why not take it, repair it maybe, or recycle the, the piece for a new TV? I think that is going to become a massive market around the you know, circular economy where we are actually what we call upcycling, reusing, repurposing one, what the things we, we own. And, um, and that is based on the new trend around sustainability. And the last model is ecosystem-based business model. And what you find is the best market players will overlay one over the other. And so to be able to be successful, I mean, it will take time right, to, to achieve that nirvana, and things are always going to evolve, but, you know, it's either picking one or combining the three at some point or another. Yep. So, I guess, I mean, it's super interesting. I think um, I, I also believe, and at least they are the flickering lights that, um, you know, as we said, there's, there's everyone's been on a journey Right, especially this past five years, I believe in in insurance, where we kind of the term insured. I remember when we were discussing whether it was Instech or InsureTech. Fifteen, <laughs> yes, I remember. Um, but I guess maybe on a on a final note, conscious of time. Um, so, what's your what's your advice to to an incumbent? Um, what would you? What is what is the What's the kind of the, the quick advice, the, the lower hanging fruit? Um, what would you kind of say, listen, you know, we can go through the whole process, but quite frankly, have a look at these two or three things. Is, are there some things that you prefer over others? Some, some, some advice you can, you can share and we do take trade secrets. <laughs> so imagine there's like, I think 5,000 insurance company globally. And you know those who are doing innovation still today is very small segment of that population. I think I wouldn't say you can count them on your fingers, but they are not you know in the thousands. They are probably more in the hundreds. So I would say to incumbents, you know you don't have a choice. You have to digitize. So start with step one, small step. Just have an R and D R and D lab. So you know for those insurers who have uh, you know are trying to do something and are scared to jump too fast. Uh, into doing proper labs, we actually do, let's just do basic R&D, just, you know, pure research and so that you can actually start understanding the opportunity. The nice things with doing basic R&D is you still can identify the partnership and the investment, but, you know, I call them more like death research type of things for sure using the right methodologies, but enabling them to start bringing back to their advisory boards or um, their, their CEOs, um, you know, some 
information around opportunities which can actually drive quick wins. So that would be my first step. Then when you have tried that, then you know, go and look at how you can actually start applying some of the applied lab techniques. You know, it's an investment. It's not something you can just have in the corner and just think it's going to mushroom on its own. You, you have to use what we call open innovations. That's where the, the word innovation is useful because you cannot do it internally. You have to use external cues. You, you have to work with people who know how to do it. And it's not one, usually it's many. You have to actually work with the ventures. You have to double and, and try and fail. I'm going to use the word fail, which is not a really um, loved word in insurance, but it's about learning. You have to learn. And then lastly, you can start you know, reinventing Digitizing, industrializing. And I know those are like big words, but industrializing is moving and doing it not once, once, once. We do it many times. Democratizing is inviting people from the business to start being involved in those projects. The best projects are multidisciplinary team from business to IT. And they are all working for mural and mural and uh, you know, starting engaging to build things together. So when I use my version of my virtual rooms, you know, with my partners, we all have access to the room. And I guess sometimes some of them will go at two o'clock in the morning to move things around. And we wake up at, at eight and say, oh, this have moved. So just to show you that it is actually interactive. So that is what I would say, not be scared, but we don't have a choice, right? We've seen it past year that we need to digitize. Thank you. Um, I know, Tom, do you have um, another question? No, no, it's very, um, very good. I think it's a long way to go, but I also think that insurance could learn much more from the from the banks because they're just, let's say, a couple of years behind. I mean, you also mentioned numbers, uh, and 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 I also think that ITQ is a good example. So um, absolutely right. They so will, always look at fintech, right? Um, yeah. You know, we are insurtech people, but yeah. you know, the amazing example come from the banking and fintech yeah. world. Um, you know, wealth tech as well. You know, yeah. so when you start applying and looking at health, wealth, you know, fin, it's interesting the things you can learn, and I think you can see patterns as well, yeah. which are definitely replicable in our industry, which is insurance. Yeah. But it, but it's still uh, still something which is also mental mental blockade eh? or kind of mental box. So if you take for instance ING, they are selling products of of competitors or others or or, or fintechs in their own supermarket, so to say, and and that's something which I don't see in the world of insurance. That that, that, that that you would say okay, soon, let's best my friend soon soon. Okay, okay. Okay, for next time then. Okay, thank you very much for it. Was interesting. Perfect. No, Sabine, thank you. Thank you so much. And I think it's you know it continues to be a very exciting ride. And I, I think for all of us, um, there couldn't be anything better. I, and I think for consumers, for insurtechs, for incumbents, anyone piecing these things together, is the so far at least continued success, um, positive equity stories. More capital flowing into the market, you know, it's it's bigger bets are being placed. I think that is really good for everyone, because I think, um, you know, and let's not even talk about the protection gap, but the existing five trillion of premium. I think there's just some, you know, there's some something to nibble around here, and it's uh, it takes a while, um, but the good thing is you'll always meet twice in insurance also, so um, it's worth sticking with it. I think also. it's a great industry. I would just say it's I love a great it. Industry. Uh, 
we are learning every day. It touches everything. So, you know, because it touches everything, one day, you know, you can learn about Gen Z and Gen Y. Tomorrow I can learn about energy companies and transport companies. My brain sometimes hurts because I have to move from so many different topics, but it's, it's fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Sabine, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank pleasure. you very much. Thank you for having me, guys.